can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Join the Council for the Model Aquatic Health Code, aka CMAC. CMAC is a member-driven organization that keeps the Model Aquatic Health Code sustainable, current, and complete. Your expertise is needed. Learn more at cmac.org. That's cmahc.org. Make your voice heard. Join the Council for the Model Aquatic Health Code. Lend your expertise to the MAC science-based guidance from the CDC and the only all-inclusive National Pool Code that addresses current aquatic issues. Learn more at cmac.org. That's cmahc.org. We now continue our episode on equipment sales. Part one of the series with Batman Dan and Kelly the Wonder Woman. In terms of variable speed pumps, those have only been installed as replacements in a big way since the Department of Energy passed their yep. regulation in July of 2021 is when it was enacted, right? Right yep. in the heat of COVID, saying that you can no longer have a single speed pump that is one horsepower greater on a pool and, and all that kind of stuff. So everyone has to go to variable speed pumps. But, you know, in terms of the numbers of pools being built every year now with variable speed pumps and the number of pumps being sold every year compared to the number of existing pools that are out there, there is an enormous potential still existing um, for, for service people to be able to upgrade old, outdated, inefficient single speed pumps to, to variable variable speed. There's Well, and I think people... There's a lot of people still out there that would rather just replace motors, you know, but in the long run, that doesn't pay, it doesn't pay off for the customer to do no, that. No, Re- replacement, you know, the single speed motors, when, when the pump was brand new, OEM specs hope that that by design, that that original motor on that pump is going to last about five years. And yeah. replacement motors are never the same quality as the original OEM motor because everybody buys them based on price. So OEM, the, the non-OEM, the replacement motors are, you know, in the conventional single speed type of stuff or something that in our market, we see two years, maybe three is about all someone gets out of it and they're shot. They, they need to replace it again. And in that time frame, of course, they're not saving any any electrical costs. They're, you know, so they're really throwing money away in my mind. And, yeah, you can put a motor in. And, and I hear some people even today with the cost of things saying they're charging 500 bucks for a motor. Um, you know, I think where we're at right now, if somebody wanted a motor 
and we had one available given the DOE regulations, we're, we're probably around $800 yeah. to replace a motor. Um, That's about where I'm at. But when I explain to them what they're going to save and how quiet it is and the control that they'll have, usually they'll go for the variable speed pump. Yeah. Yeah. We really don't even give options of motors. Well, one, you can't get motors anymore in, right. in our market. The motors are gone in terms of any single speed stuff that was built before the DOE regulation. Um, there, there are some things that you might be able to do with motors that are, uh, falling under that one horsepower criteria, but it's, it's, usually not going to be a good match to the pumps that are in our market. Anyway, the pumps are usually bigger than what that can handle. Um, mm-hmm. So, and and then we, we have some people that are putting in variable speed motors on existing pumps yeah. too. And I'm like, really, you're, you're going to have someone invest that kind of money on a, you know, 10 year old pump so that in another year or two, you find impellers break and, yeah the lutes crack and and all the rest of the stuff that happens as the plastics get old and become brittle and stressed. It's not always good to be the side hustle handyman who just fixes things like, I don't know, what's the best way of saying it? It's like the the homeowner that fixes everything just for the moment. So it's fine. But then in the long run, the house needs to be torn down. It, it's it really does not make sense to be worried about the pre- present what it is that's the best and mm-hmm. and go from there. You know any sales training that anyone would ever go through, um, seldom do they teach you to sell the cheapest thing that yeah. you've got in your in your arsenal, right? Right. You walk into a car dealership today. What cars do they have inside the dealership, all bright and shiny and sitting right next to, you know, the the desks and where everyone's seeing them under the lights and everything else? It's all the top of the line stuff, right? Yep. You, you've got the, the fully loaded whatever it is sitting there with all the bells and whistles. If you want something stripped down and plain Jane, you're going to have to go out in the lot down, you know, around the corner to the back 40 and and find that thing because they're not putting that front and center. They want you to buy the luxury. Yep. They want you to buy the efficiency. They want you to buy all that. It's no different in our industry. We need to be using that same methodology in, in what we present. And when it comes to pumps, it truly is just a really is a no brainer. It, it, it Any pool without a variable speed pump when it especially when it comes time to change that old single speed pump it's it's crazy to even think that that someone is trying to limp along re- rebuilding and repairing those old things yeah and there's so many options now in what is a so like you have some that are higher end like you said so you'll have like the big boy fancy mm-hmm. variable speed and then you'll have some that are you know not as large, smaller, maybe doesn't push as much water. Maybe it's not a high end pump. It's a medium head pump. And those can save your customer money at that moment. If it'll work for what they have at their pool. So obviously you're not going to put a medium flow pump with inch and a half plumbing on a pool spa combo where 
the filter pump runs the jets because it's probably not going to give enough push. Right. Yeah, you, you've got to make sure you're sizing everything appropriately. That's it's actually a real, real critical part of it. You know, the the aspect of getting beyond uh, convincing someone that they need the pump is then going into the installation and doing everything you can to ensure that you're installing it right. And, you know, coming right out of our electrical series and, and this series, by the way, we're, we're going to try to do a, a least a three-part series probably a four-part series where we're going to talk, you know obviously talking about pumps today we'll talk about filters in the next episode and then heaters and then we'll probably talk some more at in in a fourth episode about uh, ways to maybe work sales into the backyard and show people mm-hmm. why they want to replace things and upgrade things and, and stuff like that so this is another four-part series if if things go as as we hope um, to to get through, but you know, the, to this one, the, the aspect of pumps, um, there are a number of things that you should try to look at when you're installing the pump that many people don't have any real knowledge of. And uh, one of them I'll throw out there that um, we run into it a lot, and sometimes it's just not an easy thing to overcome. And I get that, but the the suction plumbing on a pump you're supposed to have a certain length of straight pipe Mm -hmm. without any fittings from that front of that pump until your first elbow or t or valve or union or whatever the case may be and we see that as as probably the biggest uh failure on any pump installation even brand new ones quite frankly we see builders doing it all the time oh yeah and you know what with the pumps that we're talking about these variable speed pumps what is that length of pipe supposed to be on that um so it's supposed to be around five times the diameter of the pipe reason i say around is you need to look at the manual for the pump that you were putting in you were putting in because it does probably vary but that's like the standard yeah, they're, um, they're, I don't know if there's, I've I've seen, um, you know, we deal with Pentair primarily, the Inteliflow yeah. pump, even their Superflow or, or their Supermax pumps, which are their uh, kind of mid-range price-wise variable speed pumps. They're all five times pipe damper. Yeah. So if, if you're dealing with two-inch plumbing, you need 10 inches of pipe. And when, when it's five times that, that 10 inches of pipe is the pipe outside of any of the fitting that you're gluing mm-hmm. into. That you know, does not gluing, include the 90. <laughs> right. It, it's not the the socket part, if you will, of the 90 is not part of that 10 inches. No. It's from the edge of that fitting to the edge of what is hopefully a union on the front of the pump. Yep. Hopefully we're all putting in unions on things when we're putting them in you would be surprised i actually have seen some newer installs where they did not install a union they did a threaded pvc pipe yeah schedule 80 and i'm i cringe when i see that happen yeah you know so here's here's the thing we're we're coming out of covid we're we're probably going to see a little bit of a drop in the in the number of pools being built um i firmly believe that our industry has the ability of of constructing 80 to 90,000 pools a year. Yeah. And in 2022 we probably had 130,000 pools built. 
Yeah. Well, if we can, I, what do you mean? How is that possible? You said only 90 can be built, but we did 130. Well, 40,000 of those pill, pools were not built by industry people. You have they your were, owner builders. You have the other, person who decided they could build a pool all today. All of a sudden, right. You know, you find the, lands, the home builders bu- building pools. Exactly. You got landscapers, you got developers, you got excavators, you've got um, you name it, who jumped into this industry to ride the wave. And those are commonly where we see a lot of these issues. You know, the the guy that was planting trees and cutting grass a year ago has now put, you know, 30 pools in this year. And he doesn't know that you're supposed to have five times the diameter of the pipe. And that as a professional, that pump should have unions on it as opposed Mm -hmm. to it being piped right into male adapters and and so on. So I had... A pool I went to for a warranty call ended up not being a warranty call. The pump was out of warranty. And so I sold them a new pump. Unfortunately, the way it was plumbed and the structure the customer built, which the customer didn't build the structure until after it was installed, was a two and a half inch Sweep 90 going right in right onto the union. So mm-hmm. there is no straight pipe whatsoever. Sure. sure. And but that wasn't something I could fix because mm-hmm. of the way the structure was put around the pool. So unfortunately, that's what it was left with. But that is a great example of what a builder's doing that shouldn't be do and they shouldn't be doing it. Right. Right. And, you know, the, the aspect of that, is, is a pump going to work if it has that? Is it going to pump water? Yeah, it's going to pump water. But that pump is not going to work under the hydraulic parameters that it was designed to. And where we see, you know, we have in Teleflow variable speed pumps out there that, and, and this is no lie, are 15, 16 years old, still running today. I would say the average on an Intelliflow pump in our market is probably around nine or ten years before mm-hmm. they're they're finally to a point they need to be replaced. But but and we I have think a lot most, of them. Most of these variable speeds is about that. Yeah, right. But we have a lot of them that that are are quite a bit older than that. Well, when you have that street ninety right into the front of the pump, that pump is never going to make it. No. Nine ten years. Because it's know, having it, to work harder. It's it's going to six maybe maybe seven um it's it's just not going to do it and And to be honest that's about how old that pump was that i had to replace yeah and you know the the other thing that we see too and this is again critical with variable speed pumps um more so i think than the single speed pumps they're, they're different so the single speed pumps had fans that drew air in from underneath the pump, typically in both the front and the back of the motor, right? Mm-hmm. But from the underside, where there is almost never any obstruction unless you had a bunch of leaves that got in there or other crap that got in there. Um, <clears throat> variable speed pumps almost all draw the air in to cool the motor from the very back. Yes. <clears throat> and we see installers whether it's service or builders who are putting these pumps in and because the way the plumbing is and these pumps are commonly a little bit bigger than the old single speed pumps 
the back of that motor is right up against the house or right up against the fence or something else that doesn't give it breathing room. Yep. So that's, and then you find, you know, two, three years down the road, there's a problem with it. It, it could be that the, the drive goes out on the, the unit um, because of heat, ultimately. Well, well, a drive is pretty much a computer. So look at your computer at your house. Even laptops, they have fans in them. Or you yep. have a desktop computer, and you definitely can see where the fan is in that thing. Absolutely. Um, it needs to be cooled down. It, it, you know, And then you have this motor that's underneath the drive that's creating the, more warmth. But if mm-hmm. you can't get enough airflow, it's going to be a double negative, and you're going to fry your drive, and you're going to have to buy a new pump. Right. That also plays into some uh, what I would say should be routine maintenance on variable speed pumps. And this is for for the service people out there or even the maintenance people out there, an area where you could add a little bit of of revenue or at least professionalism in what we're doing. And that's cleaning those pathways for the air on these pumps. The. in Teleflow pump, in the, the the first and second generation of those pumps, we found that in our area, some pumps would cotton seed, would get sucked in the fan in the back of the motor and blown up into the cooling fins that are between the top of the motor and the bottom of the drive unit. And, it, and that's where the cooling occurs, right? This air is blown over these cooling fins that separate the drive unit from the motor, and it cools yeah. the fins, cooling everything down. Well, when it clogs up with cottonseed, and then all of the dust and dirt that cottonseed ends up capturing, um, there's no more airflow. So you end up with heat, again, causing damage. Even though it's not up against a house or up against a fence causing no flow, it's dirty, and clogged up causing the pumps to have a short life so we got into now in our market we winterize pools every fall so we got into when we're out there winterizing taking the drives off and cleaning that pathway out it takes a good technician maybe three minutes i would say to do um two screws on an teleflow pump if i remember right that gets you to to pull that drive off it's uh a simple thing you you either blow or or sweep the the crap off of the fins and clear them out put the drive back on and you're you're good to go in areas where pumps are running year round just knowing what we see in 5 or 6 months it makes sense to me that a couple times a year someone should be looking at those pumps and considering do we need to do some maintenance on them just like an air conditioning unit needs to be cleaned on at yeah. least an, an annual basis and, and many HVAC people will tell you twice a year. Um, you know, these these pumps are not just put them there and forget about them, too. So uh, from installation to maintenance and, and so forth, it's it's important to pay attention to all of that when you're out there. Now, is there there's one thing I want to see if you know what it is. Do you know what a WEF rating is? Yes. Does that, do you think a lot of people know what that is? No. <laughs> Probably not, right? Yeah. So I think it's important for us to mention because this is also another yeah. thing you should look at when you're choosing the right pump for a customer. So 
everyone knows about the Department of Energy and they they would give their energy star rating, right? Well, now they're starting in 2021. It's do you mind? There's WEF rating. So WEF rating is weighted energy factor. So the best way to explain it is it's like gallon uh, miles per gallon, except where you're using energy. So the higher the WEF rating, the more energy efficient the piece of equipment, in this case, pumps are. So when you're looking at pumps to recommend to your customers, especially the customers who are into the variable speed because of the energy cost reduction to run their pool, start looking at the WEF rating. Kelly and Dan will be right back after these messages. Have you heard there is a group of pool service professionals nationwide that are here to help grow and protect your business? The Independent Pool and Spa Service Association, known as IPSA, is here to help you. By joining the largest trade organization created by and for pool and spa service techs, you gain access to industry networking opportunities, exclusive educational offerings, IPSA's Tech for Tech route coverage, and more. So be independent, supported, and part of a professional community. Go to IPSSA.com to learn how to be a member of IPSA today. Every pump that we install, we require the technicians to measure the total dynamic head of the, of the pump when it's operating. Yes. And record the speeds that we've programmed it at. Yep. And the correlated total dynamic head at those speeds and what the pump curve tells us the flow rate is at those speeds. That's very important. When we install variable speed pumps, we typically have uh, three speeds that we program. We program a low speed that provides 100% movement of the water through the filter in 12 hours. Then we provide a second speed that is a heater speed, which is the what we believe the proper speed in terms of flow that the heater needs Mm -hmm. in order to make the heater not only operate, but operate and have some longevity to it. And then the third speed is a speed that is the max flow rate of the system. So that, you know, that can be used for a, uh, if someone's manually vacuuming, let's say, right, you you need more flow to be able to get the suction you need to vacuum effectively. You're not going to do that on low speed. Um, that might also be when a, a pool cleaner is running. Yeah. We try to combine that highest speed with that. Heater speeds, um, if I want to just back up a little bit to that, most of the modern day heaters like the Master Temp, like Jandy's new heater, like Raypack's new a via um, where it's a sealed combustion chamber, single burner, single orifice. Those heaters are extremely susceptible to condensation causing damage from the outside in. And if we don't have water moving through these heaters fast enough, we can see 
bad things happen, whether it's condensation from the outside or if it's moving too slowly, we can see actually minerals deposits, calcium specifically, build up on the inside of the heat exchanger that causes the heat transfer to not be there because the calcium is a, a layer that's preventing the heat from coming into the water and it can end up superheating that exchanger and causing the exchanger to develop pinholes and leak. And what we found on the master temp heaters at any rate is that we want to have if that heater is fired, we want to have 45 to 50 gallons a minute going through that heater. Even though the master temp manual will tell you that a 250,000 BTU heater will fire at 25 gallons per minute of flow, we know from years of experience and working with Pentair and, and their field people around us that 25 gallons a minute is not a number you're going to program that heater to fire at. You want that heater to run with that water no less than 45, 50 yeah. gallons a minute is better. Even 55 is probably a little bit better, but I always say 45, 50 gallons a minute. That's going to prevent that calcium from building up inside the exchanger. You've got a decent flow rate, so the water is not warming enough to cause that calcium to precipitate out. And, the, uh, and it's also a flow rate that is going to minimize the potential of condensation on the outside of the exchanger because the heat transfer, you know, you're not taking water and increasing it all at once. It's increasing slower as it's making more and more passes through the exchanger, so to speak. So the condensation is reduced. Um, so, that, you know, putting a pump in is, is a hell of a lot more than just connecting two pipes and hooking up electric, right? It is. Yeah. There's, there's far more to it. And then we also have to look at is the pump we're putting in, going to match the flow rate of the filter right and you know we'll certainly talk about this more in the next episode but all the different filter types filter medias square footages of filtering area have different flow rates to them and i can't tell you how many times i've seen a uh, you know a, a tristar pump put in running full speed on a 24 inch sand filter oh it's crazy what i've seen you know they put a IntelliFlow, you know, three horsepower pump, max it out on speed, yeah. but you have inch and a half plumbing. Right. And, right. you know, you can't do that because it just strips the pipe. You know, right. I don't, <laughs> the concept of bigger is better is not necessarily true no, when you're dealing no. with variable speed pumps. Right. Well, and, and, you know, we, we, to go throw a, another, Bit of fuel onto this fire the uh apsp ansi 7 standard which talks about entrapment um issues essentially says that when we go out to install a new pump it's up to us to ensure that that pump is not capable of operating at a flow rate that exceeds what the main drains are designed yeah. for and how is that achieved and this is something that we struggle with as a company as well um, and especially in our market because of the the cycles of of seasonality and opening and closing everything else the only way you're going to know what the flow rate of a main drain is today is to essentially look at the rating that's on the grate 
Which requires diving or draining. Or somehow getting a can, you know, you could put a GoPro on a stick maybe and, and, you know, look at it that way. But, you know, we run into situations in the spring, we go out to open a pool, the pool's green, you can't see six inches into it and their pump's dead. Yeah. And it's, you know, a vinyl pool or fiberglass pool where you're not going to drain it to be able to see what that rating on the, on the drain is. So, you know, there, there's some difficulty in being able to really achieve that and um but it is out there and and truly if we were to take and put a three horsepower and teleflow pump that is capable of moving 140 gallons a minute at its max speed in the right conditions on a system that has drains that can only do 75 gallons a minute we just created a hazard yes and you know, for, for a long time, I had always been under the um, assumption that as long as we're programming that pump to operate at flow rates that are within the design of the pool, that we're not creating an unsafe environment. So if we take that 140-gallon-a-minute pump and make sure that the max flow out of that pump is not more than the 70 that the drains can handle that that's an acceptable thing. But according to the way this ANSI 7 standard is written, it's not. Even though you're programming the pump and locking it down to not do more than the flow rate of the, because somebody can come in and change what you did on that pump's programming, you have done something that can create an unsafe environment. Yeah. So that's again that's something that we're struggling with on on how to exactly deal with in our market especially at those times of the year where you know you need to go pull up and running and circulating and there's absolutely no way you're going to be able to to know what that drain is yeah um and it also is going to play into overall costs right how how do you how are you going to know what pump you can put in you can't just go out there and put anything in so now you got to look at the drain you got to look at all these other factors before deciding what pump you can put in Mm -hmm. and i would argue that's that in some cases some manufacturers don't have pumps relative to ansi 7 that will fit i agree in many of the pools being built today especially in the um recent years and the growth of fiberglass pools that are you know 8,000 gallons of water and have a couple of side suction drains in the pool that are not going to allow a high flow of volume put through them and they're running inch and a half plumbing and all this other kind of stuff that, uh, and yet we go out and we see builders are putting in telephone pumps on. Yep. Inch and a half pipe. They've got a hundred square foot cartridge, single cell, you know, filter. Max and out. And they've got that pump. They just put it in and don't even really program it. It just runs at whatever the factory set it at. That's because it's not their responsibility to program it. Come on. Yeah, well, it moves water. It does, you know, you know, they put it in and the the people are swimming and they got their pool faster than the industry builder who was two years out because this guy that, you know, was was digging foundations for a house three weeks ago now is building pools and and or, you could well, give them a I've, pool built faster. I've had so. this happen with um, solar companies. They put solar on the, the pool to mm-hmm. heat the pool. 
They sell them, you know, the Intella flow pump. They max it out because that's just what the only way they've been trained how to do it. And that's it. Or I did have one where, like you said, it was a service company put in a new pump, but they didn't program it. They just, the, I showed up and was doing like 600 RPMs a, a, all day long. And I'm like, this is no wonder you guys are having algae problems. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so let me just, uh, I, I talked a little bit earlier about um, knowing the flow rate of a pump when you install it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, as far as I know, the only pump, there's only one pump out there right now that you can actually program GPM as opposed to RPM, and that is yeah. the IntelliFlow variable flow pump, the VF pump, which yeah. is a trade-grade pump. You shouldn't be able to buy it online. It's only through brick and mortar, yada, yada. Um, every other variable pump out there is variable speed. Kelly and Dan will be right back after these messages. Have you heard there is a group of pool service professionals nationwide that are here to help grow and protect your business? The Independent Pool and Spa Service Association, known as IPSA, is here to help you. By joining the largest trade organization created by and for pool and spa service techs, you gain access to industry networking opportunities, exclusive educational offerings, IPSA's Tech for Tech route coverage, and more. So be independent, supported, and part of a professional community. Go to IPSSA.com to learn how to be a member of IPSA today. Sorry, I hear the dog doing something wrong. That's right. Go ahead. I'll wait. Rudy Rudy will block this out for us, right, Rudy? No, he won't. He'll put some smart-ass comments in here and continue it on anyway. Sorry about that. Okay. So when when we're installing pumps that are variable speed, the only way that we can know truly what the flow is on that pump when we install it is by doing a calculated total dynamic head in the field with that pump operating at whatever speeds we're going to program it to operate at. And then taking that total dynamic head number and looking at the pump curve for that pump and matching the pump curve to the total dynamic head and the speed to see exactly what our flow rate is. Mm-hmm. So how do how do we do this in the field? Gauges gauges what um what do we like a temperature gauge and a no a vacuum gauge and oh can't remember the other one one's a vacuum and one's a pressure yep vacuum and pressure so every pump i know of has drain plugs in it one in the pump basket and one in the volute pump basket is on the vacuum side of the pump and the volute is on the pressure side of the pump so take those plugs out 
screw a vacuum gauge into the bottom of the strainer basket and screw a pressure gauge into the bottom of the loop. Get your pump running at whatever speed you feel it needs to run at and read those two gauges. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to take the readings on these gauges, multiply them by factors, add them together, and that's going to give you your total dynamic head. Yep. So the vacuum gauge, whatever the reading is, you're going to multiply that times 1.13. And the pressure gauge, you're going to multiply times 2.31. So if the vacuum is at 5, 5 times 1.13 is basically going to be, well, 5.65, I think, if I'm doing the math in my head, right, 5.65. And if the pressure gauge is at, say, 20, 20 times 2.31 is going to put us at somewhere around 46 and change, roughly. So you add those two numbers together, and in this example I threw out there, you're going to be somewhere around 51, 52. Um, that's your feet of total dynamic head. So if the pump is running at 52 feet of head at that speed, then you can go to a pump curve for the pump and draw a straight line across at 52 feet ahead and see where it intersects your RPM curve for the speed that you're running the pump at and drop either down or across depending on how the pump curve is configured. And you will then know what the flow rate of that pump is. And all of these graphs are in the selling guide or the right. buyer's guide. Yeah. Owner's manuals frequently have them. Almost all do. Um, if not, the, uh, you know, your, your manufacturer books will have them. Yeah. Uh, you pull your phone out, go to Google and say, I've got a, you know, Inteliflow VS, uh, a VS pump. And, you know, Google uh, Inteliflow VS pump curve. You'll, you'll find it. Um, so that uh, short of that's that's the way you get the calculated GPM out of the calculator, out of the calculator, the measured total dynamic head. Um, short of that, the only other thing you can do is install a flow meter. Yeah. Which you're not really going to see that on residential to no. be honest, I don't even, I really see the vacuum gauge and the pressure gauge on commercial too. Yeah, well, and our guys, they put them in, they take the measurements, they record them, they set their speeds, they pull them out, put the drain plugs back in, and they got the gauges go to the next to the next uh, one that they're doing. You know, and I just thought of this because I'm going to a pump on Monday where they said that ever since we had our storms, the... um pump isn't isn't sucking as hard that's that's how they they phrased it it's a single speed pump that's a great way to know if you are at the pump meeting what it needs when you are going to replace it that it's it, because it's not sucking hard enough well we would look at the total dynamic head if it's going to for that pump if it since it's a single speed if it's really low maybe something is wrong with the pump. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, using vacuum and pressure gauges for troubleshooting is something that, uh, uh, you know, again, that's it's one of these tools, I think we mentioned it episodes ago, as to, you know, 
it was either tips and tricks or or favorite tools or something mm-hmm. we were talking about and the aspect of the uh having the, a, a pressure and a vacuum gauge on your truck so that you've got it able to use it is is really really important yeah. there there are a couple of flow meters that are really kind of designed towards the residential market um the, the one it's it's a bit pricey to say you're just going to put it on every single installation, but one of them is uh, um, you have to plumb it in line. They've got them in two inch, I think inch and a half. Uh, I want to say they're kind of looks like a check valve with a yeah gate. yeah right. I want to say that they wholesale a little over a hundred bucks a piece, maybe a hundred twenty bucks a piece, something like that. Yeah, the last one I got was like one twenty five. Okay. Um, one that I, I've looked at, and I haven't really decided a, a way to make this work, but Blue White makes a flow meter where, you know, their, their flow meters, it's what in our market, commercial pools commonly have Blue White flow meters, right? You yeah, drill a hole in the here. pipe, you shove the, the stem of the flow meter into it, a couple of stainless clamps to hold it to the pipe with a gasket under it, and your flow meter is installed. Well, they make a reasonably priced inch and a half and two inch version of that that has flow rate. Um, the inch and a half one has a flow rate of between 10 and 70 gallons a minute. Mm-hmm. The two inch, I think it was like 15 to 90 or maybe 100, something like that. And I had always thought, well, it would be great to be able to drill a hole in the pipe put the flow meter on there, get your numbers, get your pump program, then pull the flow meter off, tap that hole and put a threaded plug into it and call it a day. And then yeah. you got the flow meter to use on the next job because that's really going to give you the truest reading. But then, you know, the, the flow meter also has to have a certain installation parameter. These right. blue white ones, you have to have, when you drill that hole in the pipe, you have to be so many pipe diameters upstream, so many pipe diameters downstream on a straight length of yep. pipe. And and that often becomes complex. And if it's not on that, then it's not going to read accurately. So um, that it always kind of pushes me back to the vacuum and pressure gauge method instead and, and use that with the the pump curves, but there's math involved and sometimes math is scary, right? <laughs> you know, and, and remembering factors like 1.13 and 2.31 and, and which one gets multiplied well, we're just by cool which guys. We don't, stuff, so. there's nothing technical about what we do, you know? Yeah. So, but you Kelly have your, your binders that are all tabbed and, yep. and all of your data in it. So you have a hydraulic tab in there. And the very first thing on the top of the next page is vacuum times 1.13 plus yep. pressure times 2.31 equals total dynamic head and feet. I love my little notebooks. I love when I can get my little notebooks from like the manufacturers. So like my Hayward one is Hayward. My Paramount one is Paramount. Yeah. But not all of them have those. So you have to go buyers from, you know, Staples or whatever, you know, office right. place you have. But yeah, I tab mine. Yep. So like right. it's a quick reference. I don't have to go far. Exactly. And you know what? Um, how many pumps last year do you think you put in? Rough guess. Oh, Jesus. I'm thinking, to be honest, at least like 15, 20. Right. So if if you were to put in 15 or 20 pumps and on every 
installation, you used a vacuum and pressure gauge and did the math times 1.13 and 2.31 and added up, you're not going to need to go to that tab to book no. very frequently. You know, it, but to be honest, I don't rec- I don't reference my books very often. I'm the type of person that I need to be hands-on and write it down. Yeah. If I write it down, uh, it really stays in my brain. Now, if it's something that I don't do very often, like you're saying, yeah, then I'm referring to it. Yeah. So I don't have a whole library of these notebooks in my truck. <laughs> and, you know, the our guys, some guys have have volumes of books and, and all that kind of stuff. Other guys have it all stored on their phones. So and, in my car, I carry my manuals or not my manuals, my uh, buyer guides from the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. That way I can look up part numbers for things yep. I'm not familiar with. We actually have a, uh, a network storage device, computer equipment right. basically at, in our building. And all of our technicians have access to it from wherever they're at on their phones. And we have a technical folder that they have access to broken down in, I don't even know how many categories right now, but there's there's one for pumps, one for filters, one for heaters, one for salt systems, one for chlorine, you know, like all these. So they can fairly quickly on their phone, open the technical file, go to pumps, go to Pentair, go to IntelliFlow and find within there the pump curve and, you know, other uh, parts breakdowns and all these different things that are are fairly quick and easy for them to to get to to reference. So if they don't have it in their truck or the can of primer and the double extra large big gulp from the, you know, convenience store <laughs> spilled on their, you know, book and yeah. messed it all up, whatever. They've, they've got pretty easy access to it that way too. So however you do it, um, you, you want to have access to it because, you know, no one, no one can remember everything and no one is exposed to everything. Right. And those, those guides and manuals and all that stuff are, are part of what, makes us professionals when we're out there doing it so now one key thing i would like to say is every state and county has their own regulations so please follow your local regulations on if you can or cannot put a pump in yeah absolutely um you may not be able to work on electric in your area you might be able to do plumbing you may not be able to do any of it depending on how you're you're licensed or whatever the case may be but um you know, certainly if you are not licensed to be able to install pumps in your area, I would say in Still a know slower how. period, yeah, not only know how so that you can identify when there are things that aren't correct, um, but maybe in a slow period, see if you're able to get licensed to do it. Yeah. See what it takes um, and, and, it, and, and for open me, up that door for more revenue. Just because you don't know how to you can't do something for legal reasons. You still need to know how this stuff is supposed to be installed because you hired that person. You need to make sure that they're doing it correctly. Um, or you want to identify if there's a something that might be a safety issue yep. as you're walking in the backyard, whether it's to clean a pool or to fix the tile on the pool or whatever it is that you're you're doing. If if you can identify things that make it safer to keep people out of harm's way. Um, you know, for me, that would always be a goal. Yep. 
So. Well, I think we covered a lot today. I think so. So I yep. hope this Hopefully, was helpful. Uh, if um, anybody has anything that that you can think of in terms of pumps and motors and and that type of stuff, we'd we'd love to have some comments and also as we always say ideas of other things that you you might want to have us talk about research bring experts on if need be to help us in areas that that uh, make us all better so yeah. check us out at the talking pools facebook group email us at talkingpools at gmail.com um, find us at there aren't many trade shows left by the time this airs maybe one more I at Long Beach. Yeah. But you might find us there. And uh, however you do it, do it. Reach out to us and let us know how we can maybe help you get through your day. Well, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Have a good week. just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 